Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about physical pirates and we have part one of our interview with Paul Hutchings from Refugee Support Europe. Welcome my friends to another episode of The Kindness Project. I am joined today by a man who is... Getting physical, physical. Russell Dames and a girl. Who's got a new pair of glasses, accessories, and beautifully looks like a librarian. I quite like it. She, she does look quite studious. I did notice. Thank you. Right, well, we, we've, we're getting a bit of a difference of opinion on this, Russ. I th- when I think of... Sorry, listeners. Do you, what did Charlotte, I actually want... call them? Because I need a... I oh, need woman. Get, I need to get some of them for my ones. Glasses, Charlotte. No, no, right. You two, the glasses got... fit on your face Thanks. and you can put them in a case when you're done. Yeah. Can you, just for the purposes of our listeners, because we can all see what I'm you're sorry. wearing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You take yours off. I don't. Mine have to stay on my face, otherwise I get dizzy and headaches. Okay. I, 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 I lose off. them. But when my eyes get tired, I'm meant to use them. And I never get round to it because I don't think to myself, well, I'll go in the case and get me... But if they're around your neck, you would, Russ. Yeah, I would. That's it, that's it, Wayne. Ooh, we've hit a bit of a tender spot, haven't we, eh? Before I put these on yesterday, I dropped my glasses about five times a day off my face. Okay, so it's practical, is what you're saying. And it's fashionable, and I like it. Teddy has had trouble as well, well. Right, right. Hold on, hold on. For our listeners, as we are an audio podcast, would you like to explain what we're talking about? Um, the glasses. The glasses chains. They've got little gems on them. And mum has them on her reading glasses. It's not her normal glasses, her reading glasses, because she's got to have two pairs. And I, I looked at them and I was like, oh, those, 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 those are nice. Can I, tr- can I try it? And now I've got them. Um, and now you love them. Uh, and I've got two more pairs coming Monday. I and mean, the problem is, I've changed all the ones, so. Yeah, yeah, I always, yeah. Are you saying that these ones are uncle? Are you saying, Raz, that these ones make Charlotte look like a 90 year old woman? I think they suit Charlotte down to the ground. But you know what? He's always backing you up, I know, isn't he? It's great. He's Thank always you. backing you up. You are allowed to be honest, though, Russ. But Bye, my daughter's got glasses that come apart in the middle, and he take them apart, put them on his chest, and put them back together, and then take them apart. And I've seen them. I've cold. seen them. They've got like a magnetic. Yeah, middle, magnetic. Yeah, magnetic middle. Yeah, I've, I've seen no, them. I, I, I don't that, know yeah. whether I like them or not. Because every, every time I see somebody do it... That's quite cold. That's quite clever. But then all I need to do is just take my glasses off. Yeah, so is it one of those, like... I get where Charlotte's coming from, because... My trouble is... And if, I'm if they're falling off your face, I mean, you probably need... My trouble is, and I'm surprised you don't have the same trouble. I put them down, and then I can't remember where I put them. Yeah. I know exactly where I put that. <laughs> See, this is uh, now I'm I'm coming round to the chain. I'm not going to get myself one, but I'm coming round to the idea I'm of the chain. I'm surprised you don't have that trouble because you're well known for putting stuff down and forgetting where you put it. So I'm surprised. I do it all the time. 
I'm surprised you haven't mislaid your glasses. Yes. I have I've mislaid yes. my glasses. He does, and then he asks us to find it for yeah. him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that that's the that's the benefit of having a really good team of people around you who love you and care for you and help you. Same as you've got, Russ. Same as I've got. Same as Charlotte's got. But she doesn't need me to find her glasses because she's got an amazing chain around her neck, can't she? That's the reality of it. That's that she 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 likes a jingly chain. Now, my my opinion, my opinion, just my opinion, is that I agree with Russ. Essentially, the chain you've got makes you look like a ninety-year-old librarian. And that's what you said, Russ, wasn't it? No. Which is why I ordered two new pairs. That's what Russ says. But the practicality of the chain, um, I, I mean, I've ordered some. Um, How much was the chain? Mum got it from Tiger for a couple of quid. It wasn't a lot. Yeah, worthwhile investment. And I, I just ordered two pairs off Amazon for four quid. So yeah, yeah. and then to talk about. I mean, we've talked about the chain. I want to talk about Russ. Oh God, getting physical, physical. I'm 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 getting a bit more physical than I was. Okay, good stuff. Tell me about that. And I'm feeling it. So, as you know, I've done something crazy and signed up to go trekking in Ecuador. Yeah. Uh, not my usual. Not, not your usual speed. speed. Not I, my I, usual I wouldn't speed, go as far no. as saying it was crazy. It's not what I'd usually do. I'd usually veer away from things like that, but it's an opportunity I can't turn down, to be honest. And as part of that trip, it's going to be very physical, so I need to get, I need to get myself more in shape. So yeah. I've got 16 months, which, yeah, is plenty. I mean, that that's enough to... I mean... I mean, very similarly, I'm a bit like that. I mean, I haven't got anything. I've got a couple of runs in the diary, but um, I need a goal to get yeah, to that's the goal. That's exactly what I need. I need that push to say, I'm going to achieve this by this to get this. Mm, yeah. Um, and and you've set the bar pretty high, Russ. Well, like well, a, a trekking trip in the Amazon I, I, sounds amazing. And I'm pushing it quite hard, so... Yeah, I mean, I mean, you'll find your natural pace eventually, won't you? And it will be probably sort of four or five days a week. But yeah. I think sometimes when you're getting into it, it's because you need rep stays. Before I've done this, I've done this before to to have an operation, my gallbladder operation, mm. and it was seven days a week. I didn't stop. It was I was on it all the time, and I I find that works better for me. If I, okay. a, if I get a routine, um, mm. then I like to stick in that routine. I don't like I don't like any kind of change from that routine. You don't like any kind of change, so he's coming trekking in Ecuador, which is a like a huge change. Oh, what, what is that, it? with our listeners, Raz. What is it at the Amazon that you love? I want to go and see the bugs. Oh yes, it's, Russ. It's not two ways about. I want to see the bugs. That's that's the most valid reason to go to the Amazon I've ever heard. Is it? I love bugs. Love oh, bugs. Imagine, you know what? Imagine you know what? Everybody in this family, apart 
has got and yeah. Gatsby has got an obsession with creeping crawlies or insects. I did I did once name one of my tarantulas after Charlotte as well. Not after Charlotte, Charlotte's wet, but Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. It's not was a bug. It, hold on, hold on. Although, was technically it, tarantulas are bugs, but... So, oh, there's something technical here, right? Did you name it after the E.B. White book, Charlotte's Web, or Charlotte? Well, a mixture of both. Oh, look, I always assumed that's where my name quote came from. I can't remember where your name came from. Half and half. Both came from a tiger that came to tea, so I always assumed that mine came from Charlotte's Web, so both books. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, let's talk about what have you been writing your blog? Yeah. Go on then. What have you been writing about? She wrote about. She wrote about. Um, oh, I've read it as well. I haven't read it this week. <laughs> I don't. What pirates. is this? No, pirates. What was the one before pirates? My the lighthouses. Oh, go on. Right. So we haven't we haven't recorded since you've written those two. That's so tell the one us about. I haven't seen Pirates, but I've seen the Lighthouse one. Well, it's Saturday, it went up. Uh, God, it got Thursday, yeah. 11.50 something p.m. Fair enough. So it's fair enough you so haven't seen it. It's fairly new. Yeah. Fairly new. Do you like Pirates, Russ? Pirates? Yeah, they're all right. I'm Can a, you give us it your best pirate impression? It depends, it depends on whether we're talking modern day pirate. Or we're talking olden day. Oh, we're are you talking olden day? Are you talking? Because I, I thought you was going to ask me to talk some kind of language then, uh, Somalian or that's where where they that's culture is where the pirates come out. But, but, well, I mean, right. So clearly. I, I wasn't talking about, I mean, I mean, Charlotte can tell us about pirates, but clearly, I'm not going to jump on a Zoom call at 9.15 on a Saturday morning, which is when we're recording, and go, Russ, can you speak fluent Somalian, am I? And expect you to know how to do it. <sighs> the Greeks used to be plagued with pirates, I learned that. Well, I mean, pirates, I mean, you tell us, because you, you, you're the one who's done the I'm research on pirates. pirates so. Yeah, I mean, pirates have been around for ages. I mean, sort of... <laughs> Sorry, that was that the in-depth research? Right, I've written an article. What about pirates? Share us your insights. No, They've been around for ages. I was about to get there. The first record of pirates that has ever been found wasn't written on paper of papyrus. It was inscribed on a clay tablet. Okay. So that tells you how old pirates are. It's Pirates are older than the invention of paper. Amazing. The, the Greeks used to be plagued with a lot of pirates. There is, I can't remember the name of the person, but there was a person they were lauded because a bunch of people got kidnapped from the Greek island of Lesbos. I can say why, though. You can say yeah, it's why. a series of islands and it's very... You know, because everything went by boat once they learned to sail, didn't they? They were big traders. This so. may sound like a really silly question, okay? And uh, and the uh, the reality is I just don't know the answer, and that's the reason I'm asking it. Have pirates got to be based on a naval yeah. vehicle? Yeah. 
I would is that, that is that the definition of a well, pirate? No, no, because you can be an internet pirate, you can be a movie pirate. You, you it's about the other forms of pirate. Yeah, yeah, but no, I mean that's like I the modern day. That, of, that's like like that. I think piracy is the act of theft rather than. But what is the difference between a thief and a pirate? Someone that does it on a boat. On a boat. I love Russ thinking it's true, yeah. is he? Uh, I had to think about that because why would it be a movie pirate? I don't know. It's something that does it to something physical. So you're a pirate if you stay the boat. That's not, if, if it's, I mean, I mean, we've used the phrase pirate now in modern day language yeah. to reflect, like, as you say, like, yeah, uh, movie but piracy. More, but more the word physical. piracy, what does it mean? She wrote about piracy. And didn't... I wrote about the history of piracy. I didn't write about the specific. Yeah, but it's piracy. all physical things, isn't it? So if if you're a modern day pirate in the sea, you steal oil tankers for the money they gather. And if you're an internet pirate, you steal movies. But they're not you know, physical, are they? They're digital. You you know what I mean though. It's an actual thing you're stealing. It's not all theft is an actual thing you're stealing. So what again? Going back to the question, and listeners, help us please, because yeah, we are robbery, flailing around all over the shop here. Robbery is if you rob off someone. So piracy might be if you rob off a business. So piracy of your mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Whether it's about maybe I don't know. Listeners, question of the podcast um is what is piracy? What is not... what what is uh, we know what a pirate um, do we know what a pirate is? I don't know. I, mean, I feel like I've just gone down a linguistic rabbit hole. I'm never oh, gonna I get out of it. That's so fun. It's like that's a, that's a good question though. Because if you stay, if you hijack a boat, basically, you're a pirate. But if yeah. you hijack a plane, you're a hijacker. I don't know. I just genuinely don't know what the difference is. You can't so, hijack a car, pirate, really. can you? Yeah. I, 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 uh, I don't know. And if I'm you just... hijack a car, everyone's going to think it's a yeah, I, I, it, it might just be a linguistic thing, but um, question of podcast listeners is, what is a pirate and what is piracy? Fun fact. And, and, and the other thing, definition of life, because I'm losing the will at the minute. Do we all know what privateers are? Uh, no, go on, tell us about that. So these were uh, English pirates that were legalised by... Million, right? Elizabeth, wasn't it? Elizabeth the first. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she was like, "You can go and do your pirate things. We'll call you privateers, and no one will question it, as long as you attack the Spanish ships and but, steal from the Spanish ships this, and bring the money back." But this me. is the interesting thing, right? Like, you look at the nature. Of, uh, I mean, we're going deep on today's kind of project, but you look at the nature of law in the UK. And basically, kings and queens have just done whatever the, whatever the hell they want for centuries. Um, like, um, King Henry VIII is the big one, isn't it? Just, 
I'm going to invent divorce because I don't like my wife anymore. That's what I'm going to do. It's just, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Oh, did you see Raz's face? He was bang up for that idea. That is fair enough. You like the idea of that, Raz, didn't you? I don't, I don't like, I think marriage is antiquated, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, 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 I think. I don't believe personally. that you need a piece of paper to tell you whether you love someone or not. I, I think personally, no, I, I, I 100% agree. And I think you need to do, I mean, like, I could get your financial planners out on and go as tax savings. Yeah, it's quite uh, useful. Uh, but, uh, but. Uh, for them purposes, I suppose people do get married, but in this lifetime, I'm interested. But, but from a happiness tool, uh, happiness perspective, I think you've just got to do you. Yeah. And as long as you're happy and um, your partner's happy and the relationship is a healthy one, it doesn't matter, does it? And divorce is a lot better these days. What do you mean a lot better? <laughs> no, no, like if you look at back at some of the old like divorce laws from like pre nineteen fifty, it's like and only the man can claim divorce. Yeah, we we've seen a lot more equality now, aren't we? Which is good. But again, that came from the fact that the you know, if you look yeah, at I don't mean divorce there, I meant divorce laws are better. If, if if you look at him with a Eight, he wanted the power, didn't he? So actually, just having the I mean, the rules, the laws were changed because it benefited him. Yeah, um, that was the idea of it. But, yeah, if he got a divorce, he just off with their red, didn't he? I mean, he had a couple. He had three options, didn't he? He's got exactly the right idea. Why go through the court system? Just chop their head off. That's called Russ. That's called manslaughter, even if it's not a man. Sorry, run that through with me again, Russ. Have you have you got a guillotine in the back garden that you're going to about? I actually get one, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> right. On that note, on where where we've gone down a, I mean, I mean, can I just can I just describe the intro in my own words? We started off talking about quite mundane stuff. You know, Russ Russ will get, getting a bit fitter. Um, and Charlotte's glass, what are you calling it? Glasses chain. Glass chain, glasses chain. Quite mundane. Went in to a conversation where we questioned the very nature of piracy yeah. and then finished with an admission that Russell may have a guillotine in his back garden. Oh, and I'm, I'm happy to bring out slots if people want to use it. It wouldn't have been a guillotine back then. Don't put that on Airbnb. It wouldn't well, have been uh, a guillotine back uh, then. It would have been just a man with an axe. Oh, and I... Yeah. And because and, and Raz is very kind enough to send us show notes, apparently I've got to plug the Kindness Project book. Um, I, I, I can't believe I've gone from talking about Raz having a guillotine and offering to rent it out to, to plug in the Kindness Project book. It wouldn't have been a guillotine. Um, uh, I, I am... I mean, clearly we are a podcast about people doing amazing things in the world. Raz is being funny. Fairly funny. Fairly funny. He's being funny. 
fairly funny uh, when he talks about having a guillotine in his back garden. He does have like, um, a man with an axe. Uh, um, yeah. Um, like... But uh, we are we are really proud of uh, the um, punch project book that I wrote. And you wrote a bit, didn't you? You wrote a few hundred words. Yeah. That was good. Um, I still haven't seen it. I, I spent like the first two weeks after I sent off wondering whether it was actually going to go in the book. It is in the book. It, it is, is in the, the book. book. There's a copy of the book over there. You can you can have a look. Um, but uh, we are really proud of the fact that um, the royalties have started coming in. I'm being asked to speak at loads of events and selling loads of copies of the book, and it's raising loads of money for charity. You can get your copy on Amazon. Just put Chris Dames, D-A-E-M-S, The Kindness Project book, uh, or The Kindness Project, it will come up immediately, um, and you can get access to it um, straight away. Um, or follow the links on this particular podcast, which will be on the website, uh, all of the show notes, because uh, Russ is really good at doing this sort of stuff, will be on uh, uh, a link to the book will be available. On that note, mm. I'd like to move on to... I'm just new. Okay, on this episode of Crunch News, I want to share the story of Sebi Hall, Teens random acts of kindness raised £55,000. A teenager has raised almost £55,000 by carrying out thousands of random acts of kindness each year. Sebi Hall started during the pandemic in March 2020 with a pledge to raise £1,000 and nearly three years on he continues to smash his target. This year, his deeds have included hand-delivering 52 teddies to orphans displaced from their homes in Ukraine. Kindness is my superpower, said the 19-year-old, who, who has learning and physical difficulties. I've, I, you know what, as well? You know, there, there's a really interesting conversation about neurodivergency at the minute. That thing is is fascinating. Um, and might I think... To, you might have to expand on what that is. Do you want to explain what neurodivergent is? Yeah, it's... It's see how delicate that one was. Yeah, it's, this is the piracy conversation all over. <laughs> what is what is piracy? What is neurodivergency? Just you know, there's a sort of set understanding of how uh, human brains work, and then there's sort of Basically, my understanding of it, Charlotte might have a bit more of a nuanced understanding of it. My understanding of it is people who think slightly differently. Um, So, but, and that can be autism, that can be people on the sort of... However, I think, interestingly, I've had loads of conversations with people who are think differently in a particular way, but that benefits them in in a way yeah, that it doesn't benefit it's, others. That's why it's neurodivergent, not like yeah, yeah. something that sees it as a downside. It's sort of like... Uh, well, I, I mean, I like the phrase, because I think, I think actually thinking about thinking differently, not as a some form of 
difficulty or disability thinking about it in a way that in in a way that okay well look this might be you might get obsessed stuff and that might impact your mental health and that's an, another conversation but what it does allow you to do is focus and that might be something or so yeah I, I think there's some interesting conversations to be had in that area. Oh, we were talking about um, um, but but I think in terms of um, in terms of Sebi, what he he's done is just turn around and go, well, what can I be? I can be, I can still do good stuff in the world. I can uh, I can I can do amazing stuff. So I love that. After seeing an article about children from orphanages in Ukraine, Sebi. Sebi instantly wanted to help to make them smile. With the help from his mum, Ashley Hall, and sponsorship from a rail company and a hotel, he travelled from his home in Litchfield, Staffordshire, to where the uh, migrants were staying in Edinburgh with the goal of spreading happiness. It was just the most joyful and heartwarming act, uh, uh, Mrs Hall um, Sebi's mum said the young philanthropist quest hasn't stopped there throughout the year he has carried out good deeds every day ranging from handing out lottery tickets to random strangers to providing products for food banks despite living with a rare chromosome anomaly which has resulted in low muscle tone and speech problems with support from his family he hasn't let the condition stop him Last year, he set up the Sebi Hall Kindness Foundation. The aim is to help disabled and vulnerable people because he doesn't want anyone to feel lonely. His mum told the BBC, after his diagnosis at one years old, we were told he would never walk, talk, sit up or understand anything. So for him, doing this is a positive story for other people who are faced with diversity or disability. He's the isolated, lonely person that is helping. He can't read or write, so he can't text or ring people. So the organisations that he is funding are to help others in a similar situation. You can make a difference every day in a little way. It doesn't have to cost. I think we need to get him on the podcast, straps, don't you? Well, I'll see what we can do. Bad. As well as having supporters as far away as the Netherlands, celebrities including Anton Deck, Catherine Tate and Game of Thrones actor Richard Brake have also supported the cause. Brake, who portrayed the Ice King in the fantasy series, went to become a patron of the foundation alongside actor Eddie Marsden. The Sebi Teddy campaign was also encouraged this year to help spread the word and encourage other people to join in with a random act of kindness. All his life, people have had to help him because of his disabilities. Day-to-day life is hard, but he gets the chance to do something for someone else. His efforts were highlighted um, across the country after he won an accolade at the National Diversity Awards Ceremony. Uh, the campaign also launched a three-year bursary to allow cash-strapped families to go to the theatre. This Christmas Eve, he plans to deliver... 200 fleece line blankets to rough sleepers across the Midlands in partnership with Crisis. Sebi, what a legend is. I mean, that is amazing, amazing work. Um, And another person doing amazing work, um, particularly in Ukraine, is our interviewee, 
this week. Do you like that segue? That was quite smooth, wasn't it? I'm quite um, pleased with that. Yeah. Are we having that? Are we having that? Yeah, we'll have that, yeah. Like that, yeah. Um, I think you tell my that, mate. With you two, I can't, can I? No. Let's be honest. With you two, I can't. It's Paul Hutchin from Refugees Port Europe. Now, I love TalkSport because the work that he does, his story of our Refugees Port Europe started, um, and the amazing commitment it takes to make sure that people who have seen their circumstances change fundamentally is amazing. Shall we have a conversation with Paul? Yeah. Yes. Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the Kindness Project. We really appreciate it. Um, we've had the run chat already, but I suppose what I want to start with is just a bit more run chat. What's what's the worst and best experience you've had on a run? Yeah, I mean, I think um, um, the, the I think with running, you have to be comfortable with the discomfort of it. It's it's. It, but I think what the best experience on a run sometimes is, is sometimes it's quite difficult to get started. I think that first couple of minutes, even if you're running regularly, can be a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of get into your rhythm. And I think, um, you know, I'm lucky to live in Brighton. And, you know, once I get down onto the seafront, there comes a point, I think, somewhere, somewhere between, let's say, 10 and 30 minutes where you kind of get into a flow. Flow and style. Feels like, yeah. Yeah. You know the legs are moving, and you know your breathing's right, and you know joints aren't starting to hurt yet, <laughs> and it, yeah, yeah. that that is that that's the kind of nirvana. You know the the sort of endorphins are kicking in as well, and that you know with the sea and the wind and people, that that that's the kind of magic moment. Uh, but but that's the thing, isn't it? It's always that first couple of minutes where you go, "Why am I doing this again?" And then suddenly, like as you say, it kicks in, and you're ready to go. I think the challenge sometimes is when so I did the, a couple of years ago I did the Great North and um it, it's a really nice run. Newcastle's an amazing city to run in, absolutely love doing it. Um but somebody said to me, but when you get to the beach at the end, you're effectively by the finish. So you run out have you done the Great North? No. So you run down a hill at the end, there's a there's a there's a beach, um, but the beach is about a mile and a half long. And I saw the beach and thought, right, I'm nearly finished. Um, but that mile and a half, <laughs> the longest mile and a half, mile and a half ever, because I was ready to go then psychologically, as I've uh, stopped too early. But yeah, it's all uh, it's a bit of a psychological game running, isn't it? Well, the worst way it is, and I mean, I think that's where it comes in with the marathon as well. And you know, that that is definitely a mind game. Yeah. Um, you know, everything is saying like you got to stop. This is hurting too much. But you, your brain is the one that keeps you going until you hit the finish line. And that, that, those are the kind of, you know, I've done a few. I, I don't really want to do any more because that last. They say, you know, a marathon's too hard. It's the first twenty miles and the last six. Yeah. That that last six is, it's just arduous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, not it's, it, it's it's just getting to the end then, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I, 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 on when I did mine, particularly the last one, people were tracking me on the app 
and literally my pace, like I hit the wall at 21 and it just completely fell through the floor and I was sort of, uh, yeah, I was just getting back. But we're not only here to talk about running, we're here to talk about the amazing work you do. But so apart from the running, tell us a little bit about you. Thank you. Yes, well, I, I have got a history in um, market research and I did that for about 20 years until... I thought I'm going to spend the weekend um, helping in Calais in 2015. That, that was the time when lots of people were arriving into Europe from Syria. Um, people were uh, living in terrible conditions. I just thought, I just want to go and do something. And um, when I when I went to Calais, there were a lot of volunteers there, like me, keen to help. There was quite a lot of I mean, the situation was chaotic and there was quite a lot of chaotic behaviour there. And I just thought, oh, if someone can help steer this in the right direction, there's all this kind of good energy. It, you know, we could, we could perhaps steer it towards more... Organised, right? Yeah. ...activity It was really helping. And, and that's where Refugee Support Europe started. Help me, help me understand a bit about what the spark was that made you take the journey from... Were you living in Brighton at the time? Mm. Yeah, I lived in Brighton for about 20 no, years. So, uh, so I mean, what, what was that spark? What was it like, right, I really need to go over to Calais and, and help? Well, I mean, I think for a lot of, for a lot of people like me, it was um, Alan Kurdi, who was the three-year-old boy that was washed up face down on a beach in Turkey. Yeah. Everyone remembers. And it, and it, and it symbolised a sort of... Um, a, 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 a kind of negligence of people vulnerable people and the kind of lengths that they would go to to seek safety and and yeah. and the kind of difficulties that they faced and so that that was that was the trigger on top of just these constant scenes on the news of people trying to cross borders barbed wire pushbacks but i mean personally i did a degree many years ago in um in Latin American studies, I've always been interested in kind of development, social justice, and um, I've done some sort of kind of political activity around um, working as a market researcher. So I've always been kind of interested, but that was the trigger. Mm. What, what do you think? I mean, when, when you're thinking about it from like with your sort of market research hat on, why don't why don't you think more people get engaged with the plan of, of refugees? What mm. is it sort of psychologically that, because I look at that and go, yeah. number one, the, I mean, the first emotion that comes to mind is gratitude. You know, I realise how lucky I am to be, to be in this, in this position, but also empathy. And it's like, what, what stops people getting there? Do you think? Mm. I think it's really hard to say. I mean, I think, you know, we started this seven or eight years ago and, and kind of hoped, expected, I think, that, that we would see a growing um, um, warmness or welcoming of refugees. I think we've seen the opposite. And I think, yeah. you know, when, when I was um, in market research, we were, there was the growth of social media, the internet, in fact, you know, like sort of almost started pre, pre widespread use of the internet. And I remember we were all sitting around sort of discussing kind of what life of leisure we we're all going to lead, you know, that the social media and these communications, we're all going to bring the world together, we're all going to have a better understanding of each other. And, and I think that, that that's, that's just not being the case. In fact, this is the opposite. I think that that the if anything, these these widespread mass media communications have created divisions. And you yeah. know, 
something you know and and that's that's symbolized in very physically with the number of walls you know the Berlin Wall came down in the in in, in the late 80s early 90s and we were expecting all the walls to come down after that right that's not that's not been the case more walls have been built since then than in in the whole of history interesting and and, and uh, so why you know, I think the numbers are enormous. I think that people struggle to get their heads around the fact that there are 100 million refugees. Um, uh, we have, um, uh, I, and it's a number that's growing. And I think we have fears of that are preyed upon uh, by by politicians. Well, <laughs> you know, politicians, media, you know, others who 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 who, who try and um, prevent or, or want to try and erect barriers but i would defy anybody who has um you know met as many people as i have and have had discussions with them not to be kind of warm and welcoming yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's 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 very hard and i think you know you see this a lot with with um you know even with people who are quite hostile towards refugees um that they, you know, they'll say, "Oh well, you know, Ahmed on the corner store." He's, I know he's bizarre. You know, he's all right. It? I know him. Bizarre, yeah, I think yeah. that's that, you know, that that is it. We've got this sort of othering of these people from another country. You don't understand them, but on a personal level, if you did get to meet them and understand them, you would, you you, you would you would open your doors. Yeah, yeah. It's that it's that humanizing factor, isn't it? You know, it's that element of you know understanding that this is somebody who's just trying to do their best for their themselves and their family in the with the tools they've got in a situation where their circumstances are are you know unimaginable to somebody like us who lives in the comfort of a of a of a of a of a, of a particular situation. So you, you're in Calais, you've seen what's going on, you're in a position where you think actually this, this could be harnessed and organised to add more impact. What happens next? Yeah, so we, 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 we I do a few weekends, I start talking to more people, uh, I meet my co-founder um, who goes to Greece at a time when a deal was signed between the European Union and Turkey to, to support the people that are in Greece and for them not to move further into Europe. Right. It's a complicated deal that takes place, but basically Greece has 50,000 refugees in the country. Are and these Syrian countries. refugees? Are these from uh, Syria? Syrian, Afghan and Iraqi mostly. Okay. Um, and they, they, they created these um, um, derelict military camps and old industrial sites, put tents on them and, uh, and, and they were housed there. And my co-founder, found one of these camps um he convinced um the, the 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 colonel actually of the camp who was running it and in charge of it to to let us help and i just thought i'll give up a year i'll take a sabbatical and i'll just help for a year i feel like i've done my bit and then i can go back to my kind of nice life here in brighton with a family and doing market research but, yeah. but you know what happened was like all those people that i was talking about came and joined we went to more camps, more people joined, people gave us money, we went to other countries, and the thing just grew and grew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'd imagine that um do you do you do you ever miss the simplicity of life in market research, or would you wouldn't you change what you're doing now for, for anything? What are your thoughts around that? So I, I I wouldn't go back to market research now, and I think that I I, I really enjoyed the job. 
Um, but, you know, ultimately, um, the kind of market research that I was doing, which was sort of custom research, was for very large organizations. Yeah. And so the whole purpose was really, you know, how to help how to help a large organization make more money. Sell more stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's got its, I can see that it's got its purpose. But, but having, having done what I've done now, and I had a, I had a job. I was doing some work while I was also on yeah. my sabbatical, just to sort of yeah. keep the money coming in. And um, I, I did a big job for a large tech company uh, about the marketing of um, laptop computers. And I was in that world, and I was in like a refugee camp world, and the two just didn't reconcile. I couldn't. Yeah. Okay. In my head, it was. So I, I thought, oh, one's got to go, and and that's it. But the simplicity of market research. I mean, like anything in the world now, there's very little that is simple. I suppose this is a lot harder because we're dealing with people and we've got many more kind of emotional and complex moving parts um, that it is a bit more tricky than market research. But well, no, I, 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 I've had I my mean, time. I think, I think my perspective on it is that the role that you do now, <laughs> I'd imagine is quite rewarding when, when it goes right, but also has its own emotional challenges. I think the early days were particularly emotional. Yeah, I mean, I think we've now we've now got sort of systems and people yeah. and, and and work in place. So a lot of that is managed m m much more effectively, so that individuals don't struggle so much. But yes, yeah. in those early days, uh, you know, I was I was I was spending time here and I was spending time on a camp, yeah. and yeah. you know, I'd go out and the situation was terrible. People had awful stories. You know, taking on all kinds of sort of burdens then then coming back to the uk and trying to like yeah, talk, mentally. Talk, to, talk to people who didn't hadn't been part of that world it, it was it was a real strain so yeah, um yeah. but now it's scaled a bit it's a bit easier to to, to, to manage i'd imagine it is and if, one of the things interesting about the rewarding that you know we've helped you know probably around eighty thousand refugees uh, over Amazing. the last s several years and it, you know and and that's been um incredibly rewarding and i and, and i know that we've had a huge impact on those people but in terms of reward i sometimes feel like um some of the most rewarding thing is being able to give people who want to help an opportunity to come and help yeah yeah and it's really lovely you know like you were talking earlier about you know how reading the news can can have an impact on kind of how we feel about the world because it's so negative a lot of the time you know i've created a bubble and you know life is the, the, the work is tough it's very challenging we're working with people who really are, are struggling but at the same time i'm doing something <laughs> and i'm yeah. working with people who want to do something and that kind of bubble of sort of helpers that i'm part of well and 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 the helpers help themselves by helping don't they that's the reality of it you know that i mean i, I suppose there's two elements i i think about when i think about sort of uh and, and we've over the years of hosting the podcasts we've talked to loads of people who've just done amazing stuff of their own volition and um uh i think i think with the work that you do, and bear in mind that you spoke to um, the guys behind Ukraine Rocks, the concert I attended to when I heard about your amazing work, um, uh, and 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 they were talking about the volunteering they'd done. And I suppose it, it's two elements, isn't it? It's the ability to help that helps you because it makes you feel better, 
um, but also the ability to then meet the people and understand the world is a nuanced and complex place where everybody's trying their best as opposed to this stuff that, as you say, you hear about in the media, which is a paints a picture about migrants that it doesn't humanise. Um, mm. And I think I think that, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in that sort of diverse experience broadens the mind, doesn't it? Because it allows you to, you know, meet people who are in, uh, going through those experiences. But I know, I, I, mean, I suppose the interesting thing for me is, is um, the work changes, right? So you were in Calais, you were in Greece, uh, because of what's been going on in Ukraine, um, uh, I know that you're doing some amazing work in Ukraine and Moldova, my understanding is. Tell me a little bit specifically about that project. In Moldova. So in, in um, so we've, we've, we're a small organisation, and I think that what, um, but with some structure. So what we're trying to do is we fit in between kind of people who, who just want to turn up and help and large organisations who do, you know, fantastic stuff, but are quite slow to move. Yeah. And when um, Russia invaded Ukraine and Ukrainians started to flee west um, out of Ukraine, we looked at the countries where they were fleeing to and, you know, and, and where people were helping. Lots of people were helping in Poland and to some extent Hungary, but very few people were helping in Moldova because... It, that all the flights have stopped. It's one of the poorest countries. It was hard to get into. Um, it, it's a lot less known. It's not part of the European Union. So we decided to go there to see what we could do to help. And there was a gap, right? There was a, where is this sort of the, some of the support was was going to some of the other countries? Is yeah, that, there was a more the there was a more there was a more obvious gap than Poland. Right. And so you know, we didn't want to go somewhere and just be another NGO. Yeah. trying to do something to help in amongst a lot we need to try and find somewhere there's where people aren't getting any help and we can fit that need because we're able to be agile and gotcha. um that the moldova experience and we've recently just gone to turkey as well and helped in the post earthquake aftermath yeah. there we were there for five weeks in both those countries we went just with a kind of a will and a desire to help some knowledge about how we could help and the support of all the people behind the scenes who give us money and kind of logistic help um and then you go there and what you do is you in both countries let me just talk about moldova in moldova um we had a couple of contacts and we went to speak to them and said you know what's going on what do you need here and they said oh well this is and then we traveled around the country to different places and each person that we spoke to said oh is there someone else we can talk to we basically i mean it's market research right we we spent about 10 days just talking to people hearing kind of what the issues were hearing where the needs were and then we just thought okay this is what we need to do we need to set up a center in the heart of Chisinau because we know that that's where everybody will end up at oh, some yeah and we need to whatever we do needs to support the moldovan people as well as the ukrainian people because uh, you know we're talking there about people um being welcoming or accepting the moldovan people have done a fantastic job 95 percent, get this 95 percent of the ukrainian people who uh, have who are living in moldova are living in moldovan homes 
They're not in they're not in hotels or camps or these stupid ideas about putting people on barges outside ports yeah. that we've yeah. currently got in the UK at the moment. Yeah. They are living in Moldovan homes, but they are they have their own issues with gas prices going up, food prices, you know, 30% inflation. It's a poor country, very vulnerable as well. So the people that we serve in Moldova are Ukrainians who are living in Moldovan homes, and they come to us once a week via a Moldovan organization that refers the people to us. And then we have a market where we give people free food and hygiene, but we do it in a way where they can choose what they want. And we have a mechanism for doing that. We basically give people points. Yeah, and the, yeah, points yeah. Are, the number of points they get are relative to the size of their family. And then every item in the market has a points value. And so they use their points to choose what they want, just like a shop. So that was part one of the interview with Paul. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. Tis the end of another podcast. Tis the end of another podcast. But the end is never truly the end. The end ends with Joke of the Week. Did you hear about the carrot detective? Did I hear about the carrot detective? No. That's a shame. He gets to the root of every single case. I know it's bad. It's supposed to be bad for part of the format now, guys. I mean, I mean, Russell's face. It's bad, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, Russ normally makes an effort to laugh. <laughs> he didn't even bother this week. <laughs> On that note, have a lovely week. I've squinted a little bit with pain. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? Yeah, because he what wanted to that? laugh but couldn't. Yeah. A little stress with there, like he had a little like, oh, I should laugh. I, I really want to help, but I just can't on <laughs> that one. Um, on that note, have a lovely week, and we'll see you on the Kindness Project soon. Bye. Bye.